Welcome, friends, to the Someone Gets Me podcast. I am your host, Diane Allen, and I am so delighted that you're here. This podcast was created because I believe there is a visionary leader inside each one of us who is waiting to be seen. In each episode of Someone Gets Me, you will hear useful tips from successful visionaries who will share their stories about how being seen has allowed them to take their vision out into the world with action. Being a woman in the science and research world. Hi, everybody. I have Dr. Jen Bison with me. She's amazing. I've known her for a while now, and she is the chair of the Department of Neuroscience at the University of Florida, my alma mater, of course. And But beyond that, she's a really cool lady, and she's really talented as a leader, as an academic, as a researcher, and as a scientist. So I asked her to be on the show today to talk about what it's like, what her journey was like, how it's been for her, and what she sees moving forward for women, especially in the science world. Now, if you're a man out there and thinking, oh, this is just for women, well, not necessarily, because there's females in your life that you're going to want to support. If you're a dad, you might want to support your daughter. You might want to support your wife or your sister or somebody. So this really is for everybody, even though it might sound like it's just for the women out there. So Jen, thank you for taking time out of your busy day to spend time with us here on Someone Gets Me and share your inspiration. Yeah, so um, I'm thrilled to be here uh, and thanks for the invitation. Uh, I, uh, as you mentioned, um, have had uh, quite a journey uh, at this point uh, as as an academic researcher in uh, neuroscience specifically. And it's been an amazing uh, journey. I am thrilled with my, where I've landed in my professional life. and just the the fact that we get to make new discoveries all the time. Um, and that's just as fun as it was when I decided to go down this road. Um, and so it is one of those career tracks that I think can can continue to kind of renew excitement uh, on a regular basis. So I'm thrilled to be here today and talk about it. Oh, this is so exciting. I already have goosebumps. And one <laughs> of the things I wanted to ask you about was, was the whole idea of, does it ever get stagnant? You know, okay, well, I'm just doing research and I'm teaching people. I'm doing this. Does it ever get like boring? But you just, from what you just said, it seems like it's kind of exciting, even if there are days it might be a little bit boring. Yeah, so I think one of the interesting things about research science sometimes is that, you know, and it probably if you ask any of my students this, they will tell you that it's true, is that the the day-to-day can be a bit of a slog, right? Because you have to do, you know, every experiment you're doing, it takes a long time and you're doing the same thing and trying to be very controlled so you have to do it the same way every time. Um, But at the end of the day, the, the goal of that experiment is to find something that we didn't know before. And how does that, that's just... Like I still get excited about thinking about that. So that is um, that's the thrill of research science, and I think it's what what I got excited about uh, early on, and it still does. I mean that that uh, act of discovery is something that uh, to me will never get old. Absolutely not. So have you always been one of those people since you were a little girl that liked to discover things and check things out that kind of like primed you to be a researcher? How did this all start? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And I was thinking about that as we um, sort of logged on here. And, you know, it's really interesting because um, I uh, I remember when I was young and I think um, some of this came from the fact that so my mom is a nurse and my dad um, has a, you know, associate's degree and was more in sort of engineering and and their their sort of perception of success really was to 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 do something that is stable, right? Something that is so I was good with numbers, so it was being an accountant, right? And while that's a wonderful job, and you know I know a lot of people, uh, I'm grateful for my accountant and and lots of people that have gone into that field. For me, that, that was not something that spurred excitement in the same way that when I took a biology class and I started, and I remember the class actually, because it was an intro biological psychology class. And there were experiments where they talked about brain plasticity and how um, the, the brain can reorganize after injury and actually, you know, compensate almost fully uh, from an injury. Uh, and I was just fascinated by that. The fact that the this organ is so uh, amenable to change and um, and can actually adapt at that level to provide function, even after sort of a devastating injury. And so that's what originally got me really excited. And those kinds of questions of how do you how do you maximize that potential um, is the kind of thing that just got me really. Uh, completely obsessed with uh, per, sort of pursuing this um, as a career. Oh, that is really, that's, that sounds so fun. Like when I was in my undergraduate program, there was no such thing as neuroscience in its own way. So I took a lot of neuropsychology. That was the closest right. that they had. And I keep thinking, man, I was like a decade or two to, well, I was so doing what you're doing. And so what about the people who have already done a little bit of education who might be saying, hey, I want to get into that. Is Are there are there ways for people to do that or do they have to just really go through the traditional path to get to to fulfill their vision? Yeah, I think absolutely. There, so neuroscience is very much and it always has been an interdisciplinary field. And this is, you know, my training, um, my undergraduate degree is in psychology and my Ph.D. is in biology. Um, and then I was in a the psychological and brain sciences department. I've been a faculty member in psychology. Now I'm in a neuroscience department in med school. So those are just examples. I mean, it, it crosses those lines. And uh, once in our faculty meeting, we were talking about what our degrees were in. And I think we had about seven or eight different degrees represented. So there are physicists, there are biologists, there are chemists there. And so people come from all different specialties. Um, and now with AI, there are real um, computational questions that are just growing exponentially as we understand ways to look at big data that have direct relevance to uh, learning, memory, thinking, decision-making. And so I think that um, th there's not a single path I think to neuroscience particularly, but in general research science. And there's a lot of different levels to contribute to um, in terms of data analysis for people who really do like the number side of it. Um, and then there's also 
you know, experiment, experimentation specifically. Uh, there are cells, there are humans, there's every everything in between. Um, so there's a lot of different places for people to find where their fit is uh, and contribute to the research enterprise, I think. I think that's really important. I'm glad you brought that up because I think so many times people look, especially at the academic world, like, well, they all have PhDs and they're doing this. And like, it's untouchable to somebody who might say, well, I want to contribute. So if you're listening to Jen, you guys, and you want to contribute, and I know there's several of you who have emailed me who say you do. So now you're getting the answer to the questions that you can find a way to contribute in. And from what I'm hearing, there's so many different avenues to do it that you can find your own sweet spot and then find a way to apply it and contribute, right? I think absolutely. And that and that's just talking about the really gener- the, the organic generation of data and an analysis side. But there's, of course, with every, um, there's also aspects of science to support in terms of um, the communication of that science outward, um, educational aspects. There's so many different ways that the science enterprise as a whole uh, really needs uh, talented people uh, to to let people know what we're doing and discovering. That's a really critical part of, of, of the scientific, particularly academic research. Um, how do we actually take these discoveries and impact human human health and existence with them? Right, like how do we actually become the beneficial presence we wanted to be to start with? That's right, right, right. right. <laughs> yeah, oh my God, that's so great. So how, what do you notice? This is a little bit of a subject change, but not really. I'm wondering, because you do a lot of training of students yes. and you also are the chair of a department. So I'm sure you do a lot of training and mentoring of other faculty and things like that. Like right. you have a big leadership role in addition to being a research scientist. Do you notice any changes like over the last few years, especially like from pre-pandemic till now, with how people are learning or going forward? Do you notice any hesitation? Like, do you see any changes that maybe we could put shine some light on to elevate people and inspire them through this kind of weird murky time we're in? <laughs> it is a terribly challenging time. And I think that one of the things that we need to do is acknowledge that it's not over in the sense that people are still feeling very much the effects of what the pandemic has has brought to us and and the change in our lives that have resulted from it. And and I think that I do see, so some things are good, right? Some things I think are good and some things are not as good. But one of the things that I love is how we've opened access through Zoom technologies and other things that used to be sort of this complicated thing that we would do for the couple students that were offsite here or there. And now it just, you know, we can Zoom everything. And so we can open our classrooms now and um, open all kinds of opportunities to people through a virtual platform that we're all much, 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 much more comfortable with and familiar with. And it's becoming the norm rather than the exception. And so I think that that's actually been very powerful. And I think while all of us also desire, you know, in-person contact. Um, there's something about the accessibility of the Zoom platform and just virtual that I think is hard to argue that that's for the benefit of, of education and science. Um, so I, I think that's a, a real positive. 
uh, that's come out of it. So do you think that that positive is helping offset a little bit some of the previous disparity of underserved people just in general in in academia and in research and science? Do you think that that's helping bridge that gap any? I think it, I, I hope so. And I think that, you know, accessibility to information, accessibility to opportunities is a huge, huge thing. And, and I think that when when we can open those sorts of of, of uh, entry points um, and people can tune in and learn more from their homes, that's a huge thing. Uh, and we can't always find opportunities on site at a particular time. But we can certainly uh, provide, uh, you know, learning uh, through virtual platforms on a regular basis. So I think in terms of, um, I, I really hope and think that that's going to be transformative in the way that, and it already, I mean, online education already is a booming um, thing. I think that what the pandemic showed us is that not just a formal online class, but the whole scientific enterprise, uh, whether it's scientific meetings or you know talks or you know cohort uh, or not cohort, but um, organizational uh, meetings about uh, new findings, everything can be done very effectively in an online format, and that means we're breaking down barriers of distance in a way that's going to help with accessibility for um, increasing diversity in science. And it's also gonna help with just accessibility to collaborators and making science better through this collaboration. So I think it it has transformed most of our day-to-day interactions and what we viewed as barriers before are no longer barriers uh, in terms of geography. I think that's sort of the, you had mentioned the the challenges and I think the, the challenges are you know, science can research science and academic careers can be challenging. They are challenging careers. And so they they take a lot, they demand a lot. And that added to a lot of other types of um challenges like the pandemic has brought uh to our door. Um has, you know, people have have felt that stress, I think. And so that's the downside. And I think you know, one of the things that we try to do is support each other uh, within the department, the institution, um, you know, our trainees, uh, and make sure that we're doing everything we can to help people through what has been a bit of a challenging time, not just a bit, a really challenging time. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. And and so that kind of support and that that coming together as a department and as a group is vital, I think, because we still need the human interaction and the connection and knowing that somebody supports us somewhere. <laughs> exactly. And just acknowledging that, you know what, it's really hard. And yeah. this is, this it's just hard and it's not, it's not magically easier. Um, even though things are getting uh, back to something that resembles normalcy. Uh, you know, we've all had setbacks. We've all had losses we're all kind of navigating in a new reality. And some of that is just harder than it was before. And I think just acknowledging that and then trying to, you know, work together to find the right path forward and support people through it is the best we're going to do right now. Yeah, I agree with that. So when I talk, when we talk about challenges and women in science and academia, and it's all of these things, 
Uh, you started out a few years ago. And have you gone through any challenges that you would say probably your male counterparts didn't go through? Or do you look, when you look back, especially like in the beginning days when you're going, I want to do science, I want to do, yeah. And like when you were getting your PhD and things, were there things that you had to go through that? are not so much of an issue for today's women or or do you think the challenges remain the same like is there any kind of evolution right <laughs> towards something that's more inspiring for women in science and when you started i guess that's the long yeah way. yeah is it getting <laughs> is it getting easier and better yeah no and i i have to say that i have been incredibly fortunate that i have had um amazing support throughout my career and I've had amazing female mentors. Um, I've had amazing male mentors. Um, I've had, but a lot of people in my career and professional path that have made it okay that I valued my family, that I, I placed time um, outside a straight linear path uh, towards what people would consider professional success. Um, and 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 that has made me passionate about mentorship because I know the difference that a really um, important mentor can, the, the role that that can have at a critical time in people's lives. Um, for me, I'd say the birth of my son and the adoption of my daughter are two of those times, you know, hands down, two best days of my life. Um, but the the challenges that come with the balancing young children and this career are not insignificant, um, any career. Uh, and having people who um, understood those challenges and said it was okay to take time uh, and to and and help to come up with strategies to to make things work uh, during those critical times when I required of myself to take a slightly different pace to what I'm doing. Um, and so I think that's been really, really critical. And one of the things that I think is different now is that there are more of those mentors. And there are more of those people who recognize that this is a critical thing and that you don't have to hide that you have kids, um, you don't have to hide that you have other interests. Uh, and it's becoming more and more expected that we show up in their entirety at the workplace. And we're not just, you know, it's okay if you have an interest that are outside of, you know, what you're working on in the lab. And, you know, I want that for everyone around me. And I think that we see more and more leaders that are, very willing to acknowledge that, that that's what they would like to see in the people surrounding themselves. So I think that's a really big, a big advance. And that was, it hasn't always been that way. No, it hasn't always been that way. I think you're right. That is a huge advance where people actually are honoring overall life and wellness and happiness and joy, right. you know, whatever that means, right? But yeah, for whatever that means for them. And, you know, for me, it was my children for some, it's, you know, it's a, a hobby that they're passionate about for whatever it is. Um, it's something that, you know, finding where, uh, what, what, and, it, and and actually appreciating that it's all these different facets of people that actually bring the ingenuity that we need 
uh, to the problem at hand uh, is really, I think, essential. And and that was a missed opportunity for many years. And now I think people are starting to realize this is this isn't just because we have to. This is because this is what makes us better at our job. Right. Because uh, I think when we're fulfilled and like in a, all the areas of our life, when our family life is happier, whatever is bringing us joy is is fulfilling, and we're alive in that, then our work becomes enhanced. Absolutely. You know, I and I think de- decades and decades ago that wasn't acknowledged in the same way that we're seeing today. I think that's right, and and I think that people um, that are interested in doing this as a career should not be put off by stories that you know they won't have a life or that they that this is the only thing that if they do this they can't do other things because it requires you know 200 percent of their time there's no question it's a challenging career and I would never say that it's not but I I don't think that one has to give up every dimension of themselves in order to pursue and, and succeed. In fact, I think those things are what, you know, are critical to right. succeed. I think right. they help us succeed. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. Absolutely. So everybody, you're listening to Dr. Jen Bison from the University of Florida. She's the chair of the Department of Neuroscience. And if you're loving what she's saying, I have her links in the show notes for their website. You can check them out further for Twitter and let her know that you heard her here and be grateful that you're listening to this podcast and that you're getting to be inspired by somebody who's really walked an amazing path. And so now I have some other things I want to talk about, but I wanted to remind everybody that there is a lot of history and you have a lot of education and you're doing a lot of amazing things. And so that can be read while we're talking about these other things, if you'd like. So what I would like to talk about now a little bit is what do you do for fun and relaxation and stress management? Because it is a challenging career and you have a family and you have a department and that you're the leader of and you train students and you do research and you're, you're doing all kinds of things professionally and personally. So what do you do for you? It's a great question. Um, and so I, you know, I, I'm again, I'm fortunate because I have I do have a family that is extremely supportive and, and just a lot of fun. And so um, I do have uh, quite a bit of um, a lot of family activity time, you know, just things that we do as a family that really bring me joy. And some of those, my favorite thing is out being outside. I love um, any, pretty much any national park. Uh, if I can spend any time in a like near a mountain, on a mountain, somewhere close to a mountain, I'm pretty happy. And so Florida has wonderful beaches. So I've tried really hard and I, I love the beach too, but there's something about a mountain that just brings me peace. Um, so uh, my husband and I both uh, enjoy that. And so that's something, my kids like it when we're on the downward like we're going down the mountain, not so much when we're going up the mountain. Um, but that's one of the things that I really love. Uh, and I also have pets. And so I have a dog and that brings me tremendous joy. Um, and so I think pets are amazing. And 
just uh, they don't care what your grant score is. They don't care, you know, whether your paper got published that day or whether somebody's having a difficult thing at work. Um, they're just happy. <laughs> and so I like that, you know, it makes me happy um, and lowers my stress for sure. Oh, that's fun. I, when you're talking, I'm thinking about my dog and she doesn't she doesn't care that she just loves no, not it. a bit. Right. They just they just want to tummy rub and they're good. Right. Yeah. Just yeah. love me, love me, love me. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so how would you describe your leadership style? So, you know, I, I like to try to support the people around me. That's really when it comes to the nuts and bolts of how I view leadership. It is, it's a very much uh, to serve those around myself, you know, the department the constituents within the department, the students, and how can we continue to improve and make things work even better than they are? Um, we're successful. How can we be more successful? What can we do as a department that will support each individual faculty member and then make the whole more than each individual faculty member? And I think that, you know, those are the sorts of questions I, I try to ask every time that we have a faculty meeting, every time we get together when I'm talking to people one on one. Um, and I think that is really the way that I view it, uh, the whole approach to what I do. And, um, and I think that uh, it's about the people. I mean, every, nothing happens uh, at an institution, regardless of, you know, teaching, research, all of our missions, clinical, uh, it's about the people who show up every day and are doing the work. Um, so leadership's job, in my opinion, is to support those people. And so I'm not sure that's a style. I'm not sure I quite answered your question, but that's that's how I view it. Yeah. To me, that's a style. It's a style yeah. of leading with with support and making sure that everybody has, I, I, when you're talking, I kind of imagine like the safety net underneath everybody and the foundation kind of being fluid and making sure that there's no holes in it. And so, right, right. I and I think one thing that's true about um, academic research is I'm surrounded by really smart people. Um, this is a, you know, this is a, a place where we have amazing talent and I think that one of the things about that is it's important to remember you don't have all the ideas. And that's not just true for science. That's true for everyday life. <laughs> you know, how does the department, how could it function better? How, what's going to be the most innovative thing that will push us forward? And, and yet, sometimes with that kind of personalities, you have to be able to get everybody to row together. and Because we are all thinking about our own piece of the puzzle and how does it fit together sometimes we all need to step back and say how does my puzzle piece fit with yours and how can we make this work together and so some of it is trying to get people to do that kind of thinking and and listen and you know speak sometimes and and speak up and and have their contribution um come out uh so that it can help shape the vision for the future and so I think that that's another key piece um, that has been really important for our department. Oh, yes. And so you have all these very smart and talented people. We would call them gifted in my world. And yeah. gifted people tend to be perfectionistic sometimes and overly rigid. And maybe even some people have a hard time 
being socially awkward, you know, like they have a hard time like engaging with other people as a team. So how do you help somebody with that? I mean, because you believe in supporting everybody. And so the yeah. probability of at least somebody that you're working with might struggle with some of those things and maybe multiples of them. How do you offer them support and help them kind of step into who they are in a, in a safe way that you do? I think it's important um, to realize not everybody has to be the same. And so one of the things that we I try to do is to make sure that there's multiple avenues for getting feedback from different people. Um, some people have no problem at a meeting, raising their hand, saying what they think. <laughs> I have, you know, that happens a lot. There's a lot of people who are totally fine with that. Um, however, there's a number of people who will never do that. They can have the most brilliant idea in the world, but they're not gonna raise their hand in a public forum and, and share that with the rest. And so I think, always, number one, recognizing that those people who aren't speaking up, but you know, if you ask them, they're going to come up with a really good feedback and making sure to make that, you know, effort to ask, but also just in a general way with students and other trainees, making sure that there are multiple ways that they can be heard. So written feedback, oral feedback, in a private setting, making sure that there's multiple ways that we can take that those diverse views and help them have a voice in shaping where we go next. I think that's really key. I think that's really important. And and understanding the diversity of the way just people process things. Yes. And and how they are willing to either share it or not share it or whatever. Because sometimes I think those people who are really quiet you know, that might have the good idea if you just give them permission in a, in a like a one-on-one -on -one kind of thing, you know, we, we can astound ourselves. Cause I know in the beginning of my career, I was like that. I was the quiet one, but if you asked me, I would tell you, but I didn't know about talking in front of those people. Absolutely. Cause I'm so introverted and now I'm more, I'm still very introverted, but I also am more social now than I was. So it's right. easy for me to talk up now as, yes. but when I was younger in my career, I would have been one of those people like telling you like, in secret. <laughs> no, it, it, exactly. And I and I come from a place of deep introversion as well. So I'm very understanding of that particular personality type. Mm -hmm. um, I've learned to to not be ruled by like being shy, but I still I still need some some quiet time to recharge. <laughs> oh, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. So um, we're getting near the end of our time, though I could talk to you for days about all this yeah. stuff, um, but we already know that. Uh, yeah. and so is there anything that has come into mind or that you wanted to share with everybody that maybe I haven't asked yet? No, I think, um, you know, I, I am, again, thrilled to uh, participate, and I, I really think that it's an exciting time uh, to think about academic science and uh, how research is reshaping our lives. And uh, I'm excited for uh, your listeners to, to think about this uh, more and reach out if there's things that would be of interest. Oh, that's perfect. So being that my profession is being a mentor toward for gifted people, right? And so I love to help guide people toward their highest good, whatever that looks like for them. Um, in the neat ways they can do it. And so I have a couple more questions for you before we close. Sure. Uh, one is what's the most memorable food you've ever eaten? Like when you think about your diverse life and all the places you've been, what comes to mind is the most memorable, doesn't have to be good or bad, but just most memorable food you've ever eaten. 
Okay, a sea cucumber. And yeah, I, yeah, it was, it was a, um, so it was just a, a, a trip. I was on a, giving a seminar and someone took us out and we had a sea cucumber and it was, it was not a great story, but I remember it very vividly. <laughs> <laughs> Memorable is the word, right? Memorable, right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And if somebody's listening to, to you right now and they're thinking, I want to get started in doing something more science-based or I want to, uh, maybe I love science, but I want to check out the research things. Do you have any tips or ideas of maybe where they could start as far as investigating their interest? Yeah, I think that, you know, depending on where they are in terms of, you know, geography, flexibility of time, you know, career stage, all those things, that would all play into that answer. But I think there are many, many opportunities associated with different research programs. And a lot of those things are posted, I mean, not just at UF, at any major research institution. There are opportunities to participate as a subject. There are opportunities to participate and, and look for volunteer opportunities in research programs, which could be a great way to start if there is any, you know, that people have flexibility of time. And then there are often paid positions to work in laboratories, and that is probably the best way to really determine for those people who are really interested in hands-on research science, if it's something that they are you know, not just interested in, but actually would like to do, which is part of the trick for all of us, is to take our interest and mesh it with something that when you get your hands on it, it actually is something you're happy with doing. Um, so I would I would start there. And of course, uh, for those people who don't have much of a science background yet, uh, there's all kinds of opportunities now, free, um, many of them uh, to take introductory classes online and, and get some of the background knowledge. Uh, and those things could be done in, in concert. Right. Yeah. And I and I think so wherever somebody is, they can just find the, the closest local research facility or major university, because most of the right. major universities have some opportunity and right. start there. And and I think I would like to um, kind of piggyback on what you've been saying all along. Speak up, say something about it, ask questions. That's you right. Know, just keep going to the next person until you find what, and I'm getting goosebumps, so you find what turns you on and that you want to keep pursuing that because there are so many different options and choices that we're not going to really know what it's going to look like till we start taking action toward it. Absolutely. I think, you know, try something. And, if, and and a lot of times, you know, even our students who come to do the PhD program sometimes find their passion is in communicating science outward. And so it's not in the lab, but it's that next step of, of translating what happens in the lab to people who aren't in the scientific field. Um, all of these things, there's so many places uh, to contribute. Yeah, that's wonderful. So now remember everybody that no excuses anymore. <laughs> Jen's helping you take care of the fact that that part of you that's trying to make an excuse, it's we're kind of putting it to rest now. Um, and so your final question of, of this show that I, lo I love to hear the answers for is, is that if we were going to have Jen Bison's personal message on a billboard that the whole world was going to see, what would be your billboard message for all the world? Oh, wow. Um, no pressure. I don't know. I think, you know, keep trying. I keep think, trying. yeah, 
um, you know, whatever, whatever you accomplish on one day, I think you keep trying to push it forward and do something even greater the next day. And, it, and, you know, stuff happens and failure happens and it probably means you're doing something right. If you fail every once in a while and you're not quite trying hard enough if you don't. Right. So I think keep trying. That's that kind of sums it up. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. That's that. I love that. And it does sum it up. I, I think it's wonderful. Well, thank you, Jen, so much for being on the show with me today. This has been a blast. And, and I'm certain that many things you've shared will really support and help people. And that's the goal of the show. So thank you so much. Thank you. So remember, everybody, put your face to the sun so the shadows fall behind you because you're a rock star. You're here on purpose with a purpose. So go out there and let your light shine. And remember, as Jen says, keep trying. Till the next episode of Someone Gets Me, be well. Thank you for listening. I trust you gained some valuable inspiration and information. Please join me and other visionaries in the Someone Gets Me Facebook group. Or for more information on my services and additional episodes, visit someonegetsme.com. Again, thanks for listening.